You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, it's great to have everybody here. Um, In the last uh, few Sundays, we have been hitting the importance of the priesthood, talking about covenants, promises, oaths, that's a fun one to say, and the duties of the priest. Then last week, we hit into chapter 7, the, the Melchizedek, this, this mysterious one, the, the king priest, and uh, how Jesus is actually greater than him. And then today is a longer text with a ton in it, so it again is going to take some hard work uh, for a full grasp of this text. Uh, because what the author does is actually gives you three points, and the three points are on the screen here, uh, right there, right there. The three points are right there. They're coming. And so the three points are coming. But those three points, oh, maybe that's because I, I'm jumping ahead. But these three points are is insufficiency of the Arianic priesthood, the sufficiency of Melchizedek, and the superiority of Jesus. So this is the outline. But the thing is, the author goes back and forth like crazy. But you can pull these things out. You can pull these three things out. And that's what I pulled out. But because of the back and forth with the author, and plus we have our children here, our older kids, you've got hopefully a sheet in your hand that you're going to draw with me, but I'm going to do it on the screen. Last time I did this on the screen, a lot of people said that was really helpful. That was actually, I totally understood it. I saw things that maybe I never saw before. And so we're going to try that again uh, this morning. But this, uh, this, this Melchizedek, is, is a character that we see multiple times in Scripture, Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and here in Hebrews. And so we learned a little bit about that last week. But let's open up the Scriptures this morning and learn a bit more about why the author is bringing this in. And those three points will help guide us. So let's, uh, one more time, if you are able, please rise. And we're going to read a little bit of a longer text, Hebrews 7, uh, verses 11 through 28 today. So we're going to finish off chapter 7 this morning. It says this, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, For it is witnessed of him, you, Jesus, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This now makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. 
but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of God. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into that thick, thick text. Uh, Jesus, once again, I want to come before you. This is your word. And so we want to, please, please, Lord, fill me, help me unpack this clearly, that we might all walk away from here today glorifying your name, remembering what you have done, as we've already sung, that you are the perfect priest that is here forever for us that you have come to live, to die, and to rise again for our sake and for our good and for your glory. And I pray that as we unpack this amazing text this morning, that you will be glorified and honored. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. All right. Well, like I said, there are these main points that you can see on the screen. Once again, we'll just pop those up one more time insufficiency of the Arianic priesthood, sufficiency of Melchizedek, and superiority of Jesus. And so we're going to unpack this, and I'm going to steal now the screen, see if I can do this without messing things up too much. If I can remember how to do this, there we go. Screw mirroring entertainment room. Good, we got it. All right. So there's my blank canvas, and it's going to look very messy. Kids, this is where you come in with your colors and and drawings, okay? So what we're understanding right now in this text, and maybe you pulled it out, but there's three kind of priests given to us here. And so let's draw quickly in that first box, right in the middle, kids, you can write Melchizedek. It's a fun one to spell. Bonus points if you spell it correctly. All right, so this is a box. Look at my magic pen. Does a perfect square. If that's a square. Oh, can we flip it? Would that be better? I just lost. There it is. That's much better. All right. All right, so we got Melchizedek, and what we learned about him last week is that he is the king of righteousness. Oops. Leanne was like, man, your penmanship sucks, Chair. That's what I hear in my community group. And we also learn about king of peace. So the Mel there is the king of righteousness. Like names are important back in the day. The Kezedek is the king of peace. We also learn that he was the king of Salem. So kids, you can write all this stuff down. This is really important information. We learned last week that Salem actually meant Jerusalem. All right, it's another word for a name that we see in In the scripture, Salem is Jerusalem. All right, we also learned about Melchizedek that he has no genealogy. I'll just spell gene there. And no end or beginning. Okay, you can see that in the beginning of chapter 7. 
So this is all kinds of things that we see about Melchizedek. We learn a lot about him, and, and this is really important to understand. This is what the author is getting to. And now, I'm going to back up a little bit, because remember, the Hebrew church knew this stuff intimately. They're actually going back to this stuff. That's why the encouragement of Hebrews. They're on the verge of going back to Judaism. And so this writer, this author, comes to the church and writes this letter going, don't go back. Don't go back to the priesthood, to the sacrifices. There already has been a perfect sacrifice, and that is Jesus. And so that's why this exhortation of Hebrews. But this means that we have to understand one big major theme story of this Bible is that this Bible is telling a family story. It's telling a story about a family, and that family ultimately ends with Jesus. And so it starts, really, maybe you've recognized this, is the 12 tribes of Jacob. And if you read through Genesis, you're going to understand and come across Genesis 35, verse 10, where God changes his name to Israel. So we have Jacob, 12 sons, and then God changes his name to Israel. So we have the 12 sons or the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes, oh, my pen sometimes does not work dropped it too many times, is Levi. So that's in that other box there, kids. So Levi, and this, this side you can write above there, is the priestly tribe. All the priests came into this tribe. All right? And then they, out of Levi, he had a son named Aaron. One of our first priests that we see in the Scripture. And Aaron, I've given you a little opportunity to draw Aaron. So let, kids parents. Michael, don't be too upset at me. Michael's like an artist. All right, so Aaron, let's make him happy. All right, give him some long hair because I'm jealous. Give him a sweet beard. All right, so he's got a sweet beard. Give him some good shoulders. No laughing. Seriously. Give him some feet, all right? Give him a little bit of a weird hand, all right? Give him a little bit of a cloak. Kids, you can draw. Y'all want to see your, I want to see your pictures. And then he's a staff. There's a staff, all right? So Aaron is one of the first priests. Let's give him a V-neck, short sleeves to show his guns off, all right? Some big guns. This guy, he's jacked up, right? So there's Aaron, all right? So Aaron and the priesthood. Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. This was by legal, legal uh, descent or legal and bodily descent. Okay, meaning that only the priests were to come through this one tribe. So it made a legal requirement and a bodily descent. And so all the priests came through here and there's more priests out of Aaron. This is really important. So all the priests... Afterwards, same thing, legal and bodily descent. Okay, and they were given, if you remember, uh, 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 the law. All right, so there's the Ten Commandments. Elle's even laughing at my drawing. This is encouraging. I'm going to feel very discouraged as I go home. All right, so we get Ten Commandments, and in that, we see this in the Scripture in Hebrews chapter 7, that new priests would come, because all of these priests 
died. They all die. And so when a new priest would come, new priest, new law, die. New priest, new law, die. All right? We see this over and over and over again. So what this is, is this whole priesthood was appointed by man. Without, and this is a really important part, without an oath. All right? But rather, the legal bodily descent. That's how they were appointed. So it had to be out of the family line rather than by an oath, which then made this weak, useless law because, this is how you do because, it's for speed, because this could not save. It's really important. This could not save. This line of Aaron could not save. It was a foreshadow. It was a picture of our sin nature. So, but it could never save us because there's a constant recognition. There's a constant sacrifice over and over and over again. That's what these priests were to, to do. And we talked about this in the weeks previous. There's also, though, another tribe. And this other tribe is Judah. The fourth of the sons is Judah, and out of Judah, we see the kings. So we have the priests and the kings, and out of Judah, we have Jesus. Now, over and over, we've seen already in in chapter, all the way going back to chapter 5, we have this language in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he had no end, no beginning, no genealogy. He was the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He was actually greater than, let me use this fancy tool, he's greater than Melchizedek. Jesus is greater than. Pretty fancy, right, Jericho? Nice, thank you for the encouragement. Everybody else is just laughing at me. All right, so we have Jesus is the greater king. We also have that he is able, and in our text of scripture, is by the uttermost, which is complete. If you look in the original text of scripture, it says the uttermost. He's able to save you by the uttermost, which is completely save you. So this is able to save rather than could not save. He is eternal. So we're starting to see this Amazing picture, instead of dying, he is actually eternal. He is a better hope. He is the guarantor of a better covenant. He is our savior, our redeemer, you can put all kinds of things in there. And he also, what's so sweet about this text is that he intercedes. Listen, this guy, a little, little praying guy right here. Jesus intercedes for his family. He's constantly praying for you. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, 
to say, you know what, I understand and see all this foolishness that the world is trying to draw me towards, but yet when I see Jesus, he does everything for me. And not only that, he's praying for you. So when you confess him as your Lord and Savior, meaning like, I want to follow him now with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. He intercedes for you. He prays for you constantly. We see this in the Hebrews chapter 7 text. So this is the greater, and the, the reason for that is he is eternal. So he's, like I said, he's able to save. But he also draws us to God. And so we were, and we see this in other parts of Scripture, that we are dead, literally buried under the ground. And then when Jesus comes, he brings us to life. And now he's a little runner dude. He's running towards Jesus, towards God. See, Jesus is the perfect king, priest, draws us towards himself. He draws us in. What a sweet, sweet notice of Scripture. His eternal priesthood. He draws us to himself. And he's these, this better hope, this better eternal covenant because he is the one that actually, instead of sacrificing all these different animals on, the, on this altar that the priest had to do over and over again, Jesus himself comes and does it himself. And remember this diagram that Jesus comes into life, dies and rises again, defeating death, and then one day will come for us and to live eternally for him. It's such a beautiful text of scripture. This is what this Jesus, this in the order of Melchizedek is doing. He is coming for us. And the beauty of, we see some of Jesus' character as well, that he is holy, innocent, Sorry, my spelling is terrible. Innocent. Um, separated from sinners. He is above heaven. We see this over and over, his beautiful character. We see this at the end of the, of the text of chapter 7. He has no need of these other things, these other, these other sacrifices, these, these things to make him good because he is holy. He is pure. He is unstained by the sin because he's lived perfectly for us. See, this is our better priest. This is Jesus who is the author and perfecter of salvation for us. And I would love for us all to take this home, this one clear thing, is that this is what this scripture is talking about in this. And I'll give you a quick summary, but let's read this text of scripture again really quickly. Just keep this on the, on the, on the form. And if you want to open your Bibles and look, even just look on the screen and see how, where I get this and where it lines up. So it says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, this Levitical priesthood, if it had been attainable uh, for under people receive this law, what further need would have there been for another priest, all these other priests, to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. There's, a, there's this constant change because a new priest is coming in. 
In verse 13, for the one who of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, this other tribe of Judah, which Moses didn't talk anything about. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah in connection with that tribe of Moses said nothing about priests. So this is our king and our Lord. And this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness, in the likeness of Melchizedek. He's greater than, as I said, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement and bodily descent, but rather an oath. He is better because he came by an oath. And we covered that at the end of chapter 6. See, this author is constantly reminding us over and over and over again that this is a better priesthood. But by the powerful and of an indestructible life, meaning that he is eternal, that he has no beginning or end. So therefore, there is no need for another priest to come, as you see it in the text. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weaknesses and uselessness. Right, it was set aside for the law was made, made nothing perfect. It could not save. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So there's this better hope that we draw near to God now because of his salvation. And it was not without an oath. See, this was, a, this was a, with an oath, but this was without an oath. For those who formerly become priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath. Going back to 616. By the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Again, speaking of his eternality. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number. Remember, many in number, the former priests. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. They all died. But he holds his priesthood permanently. He's again eternal. Because he continues forever, consequently is able to save to the uttermost. That's, that's where we get that. And this is a sweet message of the gospel, verse 25. He is able to save to the uttermost completely those who draw near to God through him, through Jesus. Since Jesus, he always lives to make intercession for the people. He is praying for us. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offers up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which comes later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Friends, this is the true meaning of this text that Jesus came perfectly died on the cross for our sin being nailed to the cross that we might live remember Jesus came out of heaven into the realm of death lived a life perfect for us died for our sin and rose again defeating sin and death that we might now live. We were dead over here and he lifts us up to glory and he moves us through the the cross of Christ into perfection. This is what this king, this king, priest is doing. He is our eternal savior. He is our eternal king. He is our eternal priest that intercedes for us daily, praying for us, that we might too recognize who he is and what he has done. Friends, this exhortation, Josh, you can steal that time back now. 
Did you see a nice picture of Jody there? I'll show you to you another time. But church, this is why this author is reminding us of over and over and over again that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is the priest that comes for you, that loves you intimately and deeply, that prays for you, that has done all things for you, that is eternal, that is unstained. There's no need for sacrifice. There's no need, none whatsoever. This church is receiving an exhortation to not go back into Judaism, which was familiar to them, to go back to the sacrifices, to go back to the laws. But this exhortation of this letter was to go, don't forget Jesus. 30 years ago, he lived, he died, and he rose again. Believe upon Jesus. Jesus in this letter is new to them. He's new to them. The miracles were overwhelming to see. The evidence of his salvation, the changed hearts, the growing church, even though persecution was rampant, they continued on because they believed upon Jesus for their salvation. This church is receiving an exhortation to surrender to Jesus as king and priest, not the old law. And my question to you and to all of us, to myself included, is have we? Have we truly surrendered to him? Like thinking about living for him 365 days of the year. Like I opened up, and this is why membership is such a big deal that we might come alongside one another and encourage each other and call each other and be intimate in one another's life that we might live for him. We can literally change this culture, this school, this, the school systems, the, the culture of the, the city of North Vancouver, if we actually started living through and this out, this amazing story of salvation of Jesus. Have we surrendered to him? Have we surrendered to Jesus to the uttermost, knowing that he is our salvation? that he is our hope, that he is a better covenant, that there is no need for another. Have you given your life over to the greater hope, the greater covenant, the greater eternal savior that desires for you to be saved? This is the story of our world. This is the story. It's about one family. It's about one family line moving towards this coming savior and now he has come. Don't like this church, don't be swayed away to turn to something else. But be swayed towards turning to the true Savior, Jesus Christ, who is, who was, and who is to come. This is the one we are called to. This is the one that in Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, if you go back into Hebrews 6, right at the end, this is the one that went behind the curtain. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This is Jesus' ultimate priesthood, that he went into the heavenlies and took his shed blood on the cross and sprinkled it on the mercy seat of God and said, I pay the penalty of the church. I take on the sin and the death on myself cleanse them cleanse them from all unrighteousness make them new 
This is our call, friends, that we might surrender to him today. That surrender to Jesus, our true Lord and Savior. Let go of the things of this world that are hindering you. Give them up for Jesus and live out the freedom of Jesus, the true faithful rest that it talks about in this letter too. The rest is far greater. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for uh, your love for us. I thank you that, Lord, that you are our priest, that you are our king, that you have come in the likeness of Melchizedek, but you have become the perfect one, that you are the perfect one for our sake and for our good and for your glory. Lord, help us recognize that who you are and what you have done that we might surrender to you in a deeper way, even today and the days to come. That we will live out our life ultimately for you. Not for the distractions of this world that it, it brings, but ultimately for you in everything that we can do, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we live for you and your glory. And I pray, Jesus, in this, in your powerful name. Amen.